Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church family. It is good to see you this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. For those of you who are worshiping online with us, we're certainly glad that you're tuning in with us as well. Well, this morning, we are going to conclude our series, Encountering the Risen Jesus. As we've traveled through this journey, we've seen how God transforms us as we encounter Him. So when you and I encounter the risen Christ, we ought to expect that Jesus would transform us from one degree of glory to the next. And so just a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday, Matt did a beautiful job as he showed us the bedrock of all transformation. The true transformation begins when you and I repent before Jesus and we worship him. And then just three weeks ago, we uh, had the opportunity to walk down the road of Emmaus, uh, walk down the road to Emmaus, rather. And what we saw there is how Jesus takes the most confusing and perplexing of our days, and he transforms them into great clarity as they saw the risen Jesus for the first time, and, and they had boldness for, to proclaim the fact that Jesus truly is Lord. And then last week, we got to spend time with Mary of Magdalene. And man, what a great time that was as Jesus encounters her, he saves her, he heals her, he delivers her. And, and, and quite notably, what Jesus does for her is he transforms her temporal sadness into eternal joy. Her temporal sadness into eternal joy. And what we saw is that if Jesus could do that for her, he certainly can do that for us. Now this morning as we conclude this series, we're going to be looking at Jesus' encounter with the disciples. So we'll save the best for last, Jesus' encounter with the disciples. So if you would, please turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 19 through 29 this morning. So John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. If you are able, I would ask that you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 20. This is the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when Jesus had said this, he showed him his hands, his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And then he commissions them. He says, as the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when, he, when Jesus came so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, Thomas says, I will never believe. In verse 26, eight days later, 
his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he looked to Thomas and he said, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. And then he commanded him, do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him. He said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus responded, have you believed because you have seen me? Oh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, Father, as my prayer has been over the last three weeks is that your word is enough. Your word is enough that if we were to end right now, God, you, this would be plenty for us to uh, be transformed. And so, Father, what we ask of you this morning is that you would meet with us. God, that your presence would be here, that it would be active. God, that we would have an encounter with the risen Jesus through your word. God, I pray for a true transformation in my life. I pray for true transformation in the hearts and the minds of all of those whom you've brought this morning. God, we thank you, we honor you, and we bless your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in April of 1970, NASA had successfully launched Apollo 13 as the third attempt to get to the moon. Unfortunately, during their flight, an issue occurs and causes a significant problem um, with the crew. And it was in that moment that the words, Houston, we have a problem, became a household phrase heard around the country. See, what had happened is there was an explosion that caused oxygen to quickly leave the main cabin. And the only way that they could survive is for the crew to exit the main cabin and get to the lunar module to survive. It was in that moment, you can imagine, that when they uttered the words, Houston, we have a problem, sheer chaos erupted in Houston. If you've ever seen the movie, Apollo 13 does a great job depicting what it must have been like to be sitting there at NASA in Houston when they heard these words as sheer chaos broke out in the room as everyone is trying to find a solution to the problem, knowing that every solution seemed like a shot in the dark. I'm quite certain that it probably felt hopeless. And yet they come up with a game plan, and it's not a sure and steady game plan, but we, we, we think that this is going to work to help them get back to earth. And so they do. They come up with this plan, they implement it, and upon re-entry, they know that they've got about three minutes on whether or not that the lunar module will burn up and whether or not this crew is going to survive and so in that particular time, the, everything goes dark. They lose connection between Houston and the crew. And it's this dramatic moment of, are, is the crew, are they going to make it home? And then they're going to make it safe. And so one minute goes by. Two minutes goes by. Then three minutes goes by. I, I'm, I'm certain that you could have probably heard a pin drop in the room as four minutes goes by. And then suddenly in the corner of the TV on live television, you can see the lunar module break through the clouds. And behind it is, is this parachute as you hear the words breaking the silence. Hello, Houston. This is Odyssey. It is good to see you again. It's good to see you again. What a dramatic moment in the history of the United States. What a proud moment for us. What seemed as a tragedy, what seemed as a failure, ended up being a victory. I can imagine 2,000 years ago 
that the disciples had experienced something very similar. See, they had given up everything to follow this person in whom they believed to be their Messiah. This Jesus, believing him to be the king of the Jews, the one who has come to this earth to overthrow earthly powers, the very one who was going to usher in the kingdom of God, the reign of God on this earth, and they were going to reign next to this Jesus. He's the one. He is the long-awaited Messiah. For many of them, they'd given up their homes. They'd given up families. They'd given up careers, their entire livelihood on the line to follow this person whom they believed whom they believed to have the key, the answer to life, the very Messiah. And all it got them was a mission to a Roman cross where they saw the person, their very hope, their refuge, hung on a cross and murdered. The mission that they had given their lives over for for the last three years is now over. I mean, you can imagine, right? I mean, imagine with me, the disciples. You, did we miss it? Was he really the Messiah? I mean, he had to have been the Messiah. I mean, think of all the things that he did, the miracles that he performed. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. All of the things. He had to have been the Messiah. But, but where did we go wrong? What did we miss? To make matters worse, they've heard rumors that Jesus, that his body is missing. As a matter of fact, two of them, Peter and John, we learned, learned of this last week. Upon hearing the testimony of Mary, they ran to the tomb and they saw that it's just as Mary described, that Jesus' body was in fact gone. Had he been stolen? Well, those disciples, they went home. And you can imagine the fear that had gripped their hearts, thinking, well, wh- well what do we do now? Has God abandoned us? Has Has Jesus abandoned us, our friend, our teacher, our king, our Messiah? Has he abandoned us? Or did he really resurrect from the dead, as Mary has said? And if he had, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for you and for me that Jesus has has resurrected from the dead? I think it is safe to say that their lives were complete chaos, utter disarray at the circumstances in which they find themselves. And you know, typically, I think it's also safe to say that when chaos is the order of the moment, fear is lingering close behind. When chaos, when life seems out of control, when it seems out of my control and and hopeless, (laughs) I've often found that fear is lingering close behind. And what I want you to see this morning Number one is that Jesus transforms their fear into peace. He transforms their fear into peace. The text tells us that on the night of the resurrection, the disciples had gathered together in one room and it tells us that the doors were locked. This is important that the doors were locked because it signifies the reality that they were in hiding. The disciples had found themselves in a place where they had locked the door and they're in hiding fear of the Jews. I love what one author said. He said that fear has gripped their hearts and they in no doubt conclude that the tragic fate of Jesus may soon be theirs. We have to remember, right? I'm, I'm sure these circumstances were confusing and perplexing for the disciples, but they're not the only ones who are confused and perplexed by all that has taken place. See, uh, the Jewish authorities, the temple authorities, 
And also the Roman government are also trying to figure out what has happened to the body of Jesus. You remember the reason why they killed Jesus is because he was gaining too much influence, too much power. And that in order to kill the movement, they cut the head off the snake, so to speak. See, to end a movement, all you got to do is to kill the leader, right? But what happens when the leader that you have killed, that you have watched him die, you've buried him in a tomb, put a stone stone over the tomb and put guards outside of the, the tomb, what happens when that leader who was once dead is now missing? They're in a little bit of a pickle. See, if the body of Jesus is missing, then the movement is still alive. And so you have to imagine that these temple authorities and even the Roman government are trying to figure out how do we put an end to this movement? Well, naturally, that means that now they're going to come looking for the disciples because they're the very ones, right? I mean, who else would have taken the body of Jesus? Who else is going to keep the movement going? And so in their moments of great fear for the Jews, fear for the future, Jesus steps into the room And when he does so, he ushers in peace. He uses the phrase, peace be with you. I think to borrow from the following illustration, it's almost as though Jesus says, hello, disciples. It's good to see you guys again. It's good to see you all again. And Jesus proceeds to show them his wounds in his hands. He looks and he says, look at my wounds. Look at my side. And the text says that the disciples were glad when they saw him. See, it's Jesus' presence that transforms our even legitimate fears into a secure peace. Jesus transforms our fear into peace. But not only that, but Jesus transforms their aimlessness into purposefulness. Jesus transforms their aimlessness into purposefulness. See, when all the world seemed like it was in chaos, Jesus brings order by directing their aimlessness into purposefulness. As soon as he shows up, he ushers in peace, but it doesn't take Jesus but seconds to give them a mission. Peace be with you, disciples. Now I'm, I'm sending you out. I want you to go. He says this. He says, just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He doesn't miss a beat. He sends them directly on a mission. But it's important to keep in mind that this phrase, this commission, so to speak, bears great weight over the lives of the disciples. See, what history would tell us is that every one of the disciples, with the exception of one, will be martyred for their following Jesus. See, when Jesus said... Just as God has sent me to the earth to die so that you may have life, I too am now sending you into the world that you may die so that others may have life. This is a costly statement. It's a costly commission and it's the same commission that you and I have been, have been given as Christians. See, for many of us in the room, this may be figuratively, right? That Jesus is calling, an, uh, calling us to lay down our passions, lay down our agendas, lay down our very own selves so that others may come to know, believe, and find the peace that is in Jesus. But then there's also some of us who God may actually call 
He may call us to the remote parts of the Middle East or to deep into communist China where we may give our lives for the very gospel that you and I here, uh, you and I here believe this morning. There's people all over the world who right now who are living out this very call that even as I, even as God has sent me, I send you. Jesus gives them a mission. See, for the disciples, I love this. They were so consumed with the mission of the risen Christ that everything, and I mean everything, don't miss this, everything paled in comparison. You may ask yourself why. Because they have literally seen the resurrected Christ. They've seen him. And if Jesus, who was once dead and is now alive, what could stop them? How could you not be consumed with this mission? If the very person who, if Jesus stepped into this sanctuary this morning, the alive, risen Jesus stepped in here and he commissioned us, knowing that he was once dead and is now alive, we would have to go, if death can't stop him, if locked doors can't stop him, what else can stop him? Oh, church, it's Jesus who said, even the gates of Hades cannot touch him, cannot touch the church. We are unstoppable. You and I this morning sitting in this room are an unstoppable threat on this earth. Yet sadly, sadly, I mentioned this three weeks ago, it's often our circumstances that blind us from the reality that Jesus is standing right before us. And then last week, I said that it's our circumstances that oftentimes deafen us from hearing his voice calling us, saying, hey, I'm in the fight with you. But you know what else? Oftentimes, more often than not, it's our circumstances that distract us from the mission that Jesus has given us. It's those storms, right? We talked about those storms last week. It's the storms of life, oftentimes, that distract us from living out the very mission that God has called us to. A few weeks ago, uh, I guess like a few months ago, I was in Kansas City for one of my doctoral seminars, and um, over the course of the week, uh, my professor was talking about the great turmoil that has hit and struck the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if you track with any of that stuff. I should probably do a better job myself. Uh, nevertheless, he was telling us that there's about 11 hot-button issues right now that are, distra- that are uh, really distractions in the convention He said, as a matter of fact, he said, listen, if you're looking for some free entertainment, he said, you need to travel up to uh, Nashville, Tennessee and and enter into the the convention center where they'll have their meeting. He said, the sparks are sure to fly. It's going to be a wild one. Um, Yet, after telling us all this, he he said an incredibly profound statement. I want to share that with you. He said, in spite of all of this, he said... The Southern Baptist Convention is at its best when it stays focused on what it does best, the mission of God. The SBC is at its best when it stays focused on what it does best, and that is the mission of God in the world. And then it suddenly hit me. It suddenly hit me. I I wonder if that is not true of just about everything. See, as soon as we lose sight of the mission we begin to divert into unnecessary distractions. 
Church, I just wonder, are we distracted? What has us distracted? Are the storms of life, or are those things distracting us from the mission of God? When COVID hit, were we distracted by all of the stuff surrounding those events that we forgot about the mission of God? Or were we as a church focused on the mission? See, what's beautiful about the church is that no matter what happens on this earth, the church has one call, one agenda, and that is to advance the mission of God on this earth. So Jesus, he transforms our fear into peace, our aimlessness into purposefulness. And thirdly, Jesus transforms our doubt into belief. He transforms our doubt into belief. You know, it's kind of humorous. It's, it's just like God to have the one guy who would struggle to believe the truth of Jesus' resurrection absent from the first encounter. It's like God's humor. The one guy who's absent is the one guy who's cynical, right? And yet... Thomas shows up in the room and he's been gone. Who knows what Thomas has been after and, and, and been doing. And he shows up to the room. He, he enters the room and the, and the disciples all look at him and he says, Thomas, you're, you're never going to believe what just happened, man. The risen Jesus has just left. <laughs> the risen Jesus has left, man. We saw the nails in his hands. The very thing that you said that you wanted to know. We saw it. We saw the nails in his hands. We saw the wounds in his side. We saw it all, Thomas, and you missed it. You missed it, buddy. And Thomas looks back at his friends. I'd have to say his family at this point. They've been living life for so long together. And he says, you know, I appreciate your testimony, but I'll never believe that. I'll never believe until I myself see the nails in his hands, the marks in his hands, until I see that. I'll never believe until I put my hand into his wounds. I will never believe You know, my mom used to say, when it comes to God, never say never. Logan, don't you ever say, don't you, don't you say never. I never say, I, I, I remember thinking as a kid, I'll never be called to the ministry. Never say never, Logan. Never say never. Ironically, when Thomas least expects it, and that's how it always goes, right? It's always when we least expect it. Eight days later, Jesus shows back up in the room. He shows back up in the room and he says the exact same thing he said during his first encounter. He says, peace be with you. <laughs> and then he looks right over at Thomas. He looks right over at Thomas and he says, hey, Thomas, you see the marks in my hands? You see the wound in my side? He said, Thomas, why don't you come over here? <laughs> I can imagine all the blood has left Thomas's face. I bet he's like, you've got to be kidding. As he approaches Jesus, stunned, and he takes his hand and he puts his finger into the, the marks in Jesus' hands. He takes his hand, he, he puts it in Jesus' side. And I want you to see the, the divine patience of Jesus in this moment. See, at any moment, Jesus could have written Thomas off. Jesus, Jesus could have said, Thomas, I'm done with your doubt. I'm done with your cynicism. I'm, Thomas, I'm done with you. But what does he do? 
He takes a step closer. He meets Thomas right where he is. And he says, no, Thomas, come on. I want to show you. Look at the marks on my brow. Look at the, look at the, look at the scars on my feet. And Thomas is left with one phrase. Oh, Lord, my God. Oh, Lord, my God. And then Jesus looks at Thomas and then he commands him. He doesn't, doesn't offer a suggestion. He commands him. He says, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. He calls Thomas to belief. He calls him to faith. What we see in this encounter is that Jesus takes even the greatest of doubters even the most cynical of human beings, and he transforms it into unwavering belief. He transforms Thomas's cynicism and his doubt into unwavering belief. Now, last week, I mentioned those five major storms. Five major storms that we've been through over the last year. Sociologists would say, if we would have just experienced one, it would have been enough to be hopeless. (laughs) And yet we have experienced five. I think it's safe to say that that's probably the first time that we've ever experienced five major storms in all of history. And I, I can imagine that through these storms, many of us walked through a great deal of fear, great deal of doubt, and maybe even a sense of purposelessness. I know for myself, uh, I'll never forget where I was uh, when I heard the words that we were going on lockdown. Maybe you remember that. I was sitting at the waffle place just around the corner over here trying to figure out how in the world we're going to continue to do ministry. I was trying to do my best to stay focused on the mission at hand. And, and all I can picture is the National Guard walking up and down my street, making sure I'm, I'm locked in my house, which is probably my deepest fear. And I remember shortly after that going to Walmart and to HEB and seeing how the shelves were literally vacant with everything that that you need for livelihood. And I remember thinking, what have I done? And I remember this deep-seated fear of, what are we going to do? And of course, that fear gave way to doubt. God, where are you in this? I I know know you're alive. Your word tells me that. I believe that to be true. I, I know you're... I know who you are, but Lord, I, I, I'm kind of doubting your goodness. I'm, I'm kind of doubting your faithfulness here. I, I don't really know what to do with my hands. I don't know where I should go. I don't know what I should do. And then that led me to a deep sense of purposelessness. I, I'm incredibly type A. Uh, I'm annoyingly driven. And, and so for me to have to sit at my house while the whole world seems like it's in pure chaos is like torture. And here I am just trying to help people, wanting to, wanting to give my life to helping folks, the people that I love and I care about, and there's nothing that I can do. And man, I felt this divine sense of purposelessness, like, Lord, what am I to do? And here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can share with you. And it's the same thing I've preached to myself over and over and over and over again throughout this last year. And that is when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, our fear, even the most legitimate fears, are given over to the peace of Christ. Our aimlessness is given way to God's purpose on this earth, our purpose on this earth. He takes our aimlessness and he gives us divine purpose. 
in God, he transforms our doubt into belief. He transforms our doubt into belief. I think many of us have probably walked through a series of doubting, a series of purposelessness, a series of fear, and yet I can tell you that when we encounter the risen Jesus, he transforms all of them. And so church, let me ask you, how then, knowing that this is true, how then can we not join God on the journey of life? How can we not encounter him every day? How can we not do all that we can to walk with him, to get up early, to stay up late, to do whatever it is that we have to do to walk with God? I listened to a sermon a couple of weeks ago, and the the pastor was talking about uh, what he called first word, last word. And what he said, he, he said that every morning we need to get up and we need to open up the scriptures. And he says, we need to begin reading God's word. And he says, we do not need to leave. We do not need to stop reading until we are either encouraged, convicted, or challenged. He said, it's only then that you're ready and that you're prepared to engage the day. And then on the flip side, he said, before you go to sleep every night, he he said, you need to have an open Bible sitting on your nightstand because he said that an open Bible is hard to ignore. He said, you need to pick it up and you need to get in the word. And, And he said, you need to read until you are encouraged, you're convicted, or you're challenged. See, the only way that you and I get to know Jesus, the only way that we walk with him is through spending time devoted to his word. We've got to be a people who walk with Jesus because it's when we walk with the risen Jesus that you and I have hope on this earth and listen if Jesus is resurrected from the dead who can stop us who can stop us would you pray with me well father we come to you knowing Lord knowing good and well that you father are the Lord of the storm God, you were Lord of the storm. (laughs) And God, we know that when we encounter you, the risen Jesus, God, that we can have great hope on this earth. We can have great peace. Lord, we've seen in this series, God, how how you call us to repentance and faith and that the bedrock of all Christian transformation exists. God, when we repent before you and when we worship you, and Lord, we've seen how you take even the most chaotic of moments and you bring great order. We've seen, Lord, Father, how you can take what is confusing and perplexing and bring great clarity. How you can take the, how you can take our temporary sadness and bring eternal joy. And Lord, we, We've seen, God, how you can transform our peace or our fear into peace and and our aimlessness into purposefulness. And Lord, we've seen, God, how you can turn our doubt into belief. And so for wherever we are this morning, God, I pray for an encounter. God, I pray that you would encounter us this morning. God, that we would too experience your peace. We would experience the purpose that you've given us. Lord, that we would experience... Father, a great, deep-seated belief as we recognize that the battle is won. God, that we play the game as victors. 
not as one who, not as ones who are defeated, but Father, we play as people who have won the game. Father, thank you for that. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, um, there are people in this room who are still living in fear, maybe doubting God's goodness, doubting God's faithfulness. Uh, Maybe you're feeling purposeless on this earth, and I can just tell you that God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a mission for you. He says the same words to you, even as God has sent me to this earth, I am sending you. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for all of us. He has a purpose for our church, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves as a church, God has a purpose and he's at work. I believe that with all of my heart and God is faithful. So no matter if you find yourself in a period of doubt or fear, let me just tell you that if you encounter the risen Jesus, he will transform that fear. He will transform that doubt. And don't forget that God is gracious, that he is patient to meet you in those places. He hasn't forsaken you. He's not going to leave you, but he's calling you to yourself. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've, if you've never said, Jesus, I, I'm in, I want to be transformed. For, I want to be transformed by you. I, I, I want you. I'm all in. If, if you've never said yes to him, this would be a great day to do so. And for those of us in the room, and this is a great invitation for you too, to be challenged, to be convicted, to say, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to put fear aside, I'm going to put doubt aside, and I'm going to get work. I'm going to get to work because you've called me to a mission. You've called us to a mission. So please stand, and as you stand, I'm going to call anyone in this room who wants to say yes to Jesus. You come down. We'll have plenty of people down here. We'll talk to you. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you to find what it means to have life in Christ and Him alone. What is First Baptist Belton all about? How do I become a part of this community? Come learn more about our new members class offered the first Sunday of each month in the gym at 945 a.m. This is a great way to connect with others and learn more about our church.